You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping solar retailers deliver more value, win happier customers and generate more sales through referrals and upsell. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with One Step Off the Grid and the Driven, the EV-focused website. And joining me as usual and in a rare moment, not on his Harley electric motorcycle that he's borrowing for a couple of weeks, is Nigel Morris from Solar <laughs> Analytics. Nigel, what's it like down to sit in a real chair? <laughs> it's it's good, thanks, Giles. Although COVID's not, you know, the lockdown's not making it easy to get out and about. I must say, we actually had to cancel a film shoot on Saturday because we were all a little bit nervous about, um, you know, what the police might say, and you know, they're pretty vigorous on people being out and about. So uh, it's been a bit frustrating, actually. But as someone said to me the other day, you're probably the only person in the entire state who's hoping that they'll extend lockdown because technically <laughs> you can ride. Uh, a, a motorcycle in lockdown. Is that right? Yes, I, I it's, wonder... it's considered it's considered exercise. No um, yes, yes. Well, way. let's get that let's get that photo shoot on the road then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Just... you know you you can get out and ride, but you got to be, but you can't sort of. It's tricky because you you can't go to other areas, and you know you can't be crossing uh... territory. So it's yeah, it's you sort of can, but. You know, we've got to be careful. We've all got to be careful. And, and, got to be and, and the area around you where you live in the northern beaches, I mean, it's just so damn ugly, isn't it? I mean, it's just a dump, really. So, you know. Um, yeah, shocking. <laughs> no ocean juice. I suppose. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, well, maybe you should get some motorbike coppers to come along with you and they can have a bit of a ride in the Harley. I think they might like it. Well, my theory has always been that when, you know, if you're going to get pulled over, you've got a good story to talk about, you know, <laughs> and they love a good story. Oh, what's this then, mate? Oh, what have we got here, mate? You know, so you can have a nice conversation and keep them intrigued and, you know, be courteous. And <laughs> it sounds like you've been through this before, Nigel. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> Very good. Um, now, what's happening in the solar business? Um, look, let's rattle off on the um, a couple, of, a bit of the solar news. We'll get to some electric, more electric bike stuff at the end of this podcast. But um, mm. two hundred eighty-two megawatts in May, um, still pretty down. No, in June, sorry. Let me um, um, from Sunwiz. Um, that's a bit down from previous months, but it's still pretty good. And um, Warwick Johnson from Sunwiz had noted that there was fears of a bit of a bigger fall in the month of June, um, but it wasn't, um, partly, I think, due to a bit of a big burst in commercial installations, and which has pushed up the average size of solar installations to a record high. Nigel, what are you hearing at the, at the traps there? Is that what's kind of happening, sort of um, a few businesses and stuff like that, um, suddenly putting bigger panels on at the end of the financial year? Yeah, look, I mean, traditionally the run up to the end of June and the end of the financial year is very strong for the industry. So, you know, everyone was expecting it. Um, I'm still, you know, digging around out there. 
uh, to try and get a vibe from everyone. And, um, you know, honestly, still hearing mixed results. I, I, I think the tide has turned. And um, I'm certainly hearing a little bit like uh, like Warwick's data shows that commercials picking up um, after, you know, a bit of a, a, a bit of a siesta um, during the, the, the lockdowns of the last six, nine months. Um, so, yeah, I've got to dig into Warwick's data and understand more about it. But um, uh, well, just, just having a glimpse of it now, actually, and I just completely missed it when I first looked at it and reported on it last Friday because Warwick does send it in late in the Friday afternoon. Warwick, try the morning next time. It might be a bit more helpful. Um, anyway, um, but thanks for sending it in anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, it looks like Queensland went through the four gigawatt mark in, roof, in, in sort of small-scale rooftop solar in, in June. It's now oh, just over that, Matt 4.07 gigawatts. No wonder the guy's upset. Um, and um, and um, you'd look a whole lot better if you had a bit of silicon smeared over his face rather than coal dust, don't you reckon? Um, anyway. <laughs> I know that you can smear silicon, but yeah. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. <laughs> um, New South Wales isn't far short of um, four gigawatts. It's going to be there in about two months or just two, just over two months, I reckon, on this um, thing. And I reckon Victoria in less than two months will be over the three gigawatt mark. So, um Everyone's just ploughing along, which is just terrific. So, yeah, anyway, which brings us to the next question about solar exports. Now, we've sort of, um, um, and um, and also the sort of the solar cut-off, switch-off thing. Now, we've sort of talked um, reasonably approvingly about the solar switch-off, but I think they're probably realising that it's a bit of a crude mechanism. So there's actually a bit of a, um, been a few consultations around the place. And I think AEMO sort of said, well, it is fairly crude. We kind of need it now in South Australia, but very happy to consider more sort of sophisticated um, interventions. And I guess they'll be largely around demand response and sophistication of VPPs, virtual power plants. Um, we've had a really interesting um, analysis uh, written by James um, Alston um, just about the new rules and um, what they all mean for virtual power plants and sort of residential and commercial premises. And that's actually really quite interesting because sort of VPPs, as your company, Solar Analytics, well, well knows, is kind of like, you know, part of the future of distributed energy as it combines with battery storage and EVs and just sort of smart controls and software like your company provides. And the last thing, bit of sort of, you know, race down the news list, um, the solar exports. Now, that was a bit more controversial about whether you should tax solar exports uh, proposed by a bunch of um, different um, consumer groups and SA Power Networks, and it's kind of elicited a huge response from a lot of different energy analysts and sort of other consumer groups. So the Australian Energy Market Commission has kind of um, said, okay, we've got a lot of feedback. We're going to have to sit down and think about it. <laughs> we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. So, um, and look, that's a good thing because um, while I can understand the arguments for it, um, it's how it's implemented that is the real key. And um, I think a lot of people have probably pointed out that um, that the current proposal ain't very good, is not very smart, and could be a lot better. Even some of the people who proposed um, the concept are a bit uncomfortable about the way it's actually been finally designed. So I think there has to be a smarter solution and hopefully that will be able to be produced so um and that's important that's important for 
everyone really because rooftop solar as we continue sorry to jump in there again nigel is going to depend on smart solutions to all these different sort of issues it is and i think the interesting thing about all of this giles is it shows that it's it's not easy being at the cutting edge and, and Australia really is at the cutting edge in so many ways uh, and um, you know what's going on down in South Australia and and, and you know the the, the uh, delays in implementing um, uh, the um, oh, I've lost for words incredibly um, dynamic export control uh, the delays in implementing that associated with the complications there and the solar tax and everything else and VPP some of the complications we've learned about VPPs in the news this week and uh, the changes to the settlement rules you know it is a really 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 complex technical environment when you're trying to you know reshape the grid uh, let alone putting over the top of that um, you know some very complex regulatory and, and policy structures so yeah it's not easy um, and so it's good that everyone's pausing and taking a breath i think and saying well you know let's let's get this orchestra uh well balanced that's what we need is a well balanced orchestra to orchestrate the new grid yeah no that's exactly right that's exactly right hey look and one little um other little item um i'd like to point out um sophie varath has written on one step he's about the um, queensland government buying australian um solar panels from tindo for um, a rollout in its sort of national park facilities, which is good to hear. Um, there's another great little story. It doesn't include solar. It's all about wind and batteries. That's for Ross Island and how that can go 100% renewables. And uh, we've got another story today too. I'm just noting that the uh, US has slapped some sanctions on um, um, polysilicon suppliers who are based in um, Xinjiang province in Western China, um, where there are fears of forced labor with the Uyghurs. And um, he's written an interesting story. There was actually a Senate committee which kind of looked into the issue of forced labor. Australia hasn't actually taken any action yet, and it's yet to be seen whether they will or not. But that's just something just to sort of keep an eye on. Um, the there were some big names. There were some big names in that list too. Well, there were some big names. I think the ones just mostly affected are the high-end ones, like the originals, the the, the, the original producers of the silicon. Um, you know, we hear about sort of Polycorp yeah. and um, all the other ones. They're sort of further down the chain, I understand, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in Xinjiang, but the further ones for, where they get their stuff from is further, further up the chain and possibly in Xinjiang. So mm. it is an interesting one to one to, to watch. Isn't it? One to watch. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Now, what else have you got your little news list there, Nigel? Oh, a couple of things. I mean, oh, I did want to mention, you mentioned Tindo. Congrats to them on winning that project. I did get to see their new factory uh, when I was down in Adelaide. Um, they've built a, a magnificent new facility um, that is progressing very, very well. And um, so, you know, great to see uh, those guys, you know, continuing to battle on and uh, indeed to expand their facility and consolidate all their operations together. So congratulations to them. Um, the other one I picked up, actually, courtesy of um, uh, of your website, Giles, was the Australian Technologies Competition 2021. We've announced 41 companies to be selected as semi-finalists for this year's contest. Um, renewables companies and electric EV companies, incredible. 
uh, incredibly, uh, or get a bit of a gong. Vast Solar switched in, SAE, uh, SAE Electric. SEA, SEA. They, they make electric trucks. They're a terrific company. But yeah, they're doing great stuff. Savage Motorcycles, who we've talked mm-hmm. about before. Um, amazing to see an electric motorcycle manufacturer getting a gong there, so good on you guys. Uh, Grainstone, Evergen and Illume all making the list. Um, so congratulations yeah. to all of them and fingers crossed for the next round. Absolutely, yes. Um, Evergen is actually a sponsor of the um, Re- um, Energy Insiders podcast on renewable energy and just um, come up with um, a new sort of software announcement um, which we've written about on One Step Off the Grid. Um Loom Energy just did a $6 million raising announced today. And Grainstone, who are they, Nigel? I don't know. Oh, me. We should find out. I'm going to Google while we're talking. I'm going to get you to talk for about two minutes while I Google them. Um, and of course, Fast Solar, which is the, um, the, the the concentrated solar technology, which they're looking to roll out. There's a really big plan for them to have this huge array up in Mount Isa. Now, whether that gets going or not um, um, remains to be seen. But it's pretty interesting that people are sort of talking in those terms. So um, sure is. Uh, that's pretty good. So I'm going to I'm going to Google Grainstone while you sort of talk about something else, Nigel. Well, I might jump in and give a plug for Great Solar Business. Uh, next edition is in the can. It'll be coming out next week. I recorded that the other day. Um, and as per all of the episodes, the goal is to try and you know tease out some secrets, find some interesting um, information that can help solar companies. Uh, this week we thought we'll dive into sales and try and unravel some of the some of the hard bits of sales, some of the secrets of sales. So I found a really good guy who's got a really um, strong reputation for coaching and sales success. He's um, um, you know highly respected guy by the de- name of Dean Mannix. Uh, so tune in next Tuesday for the secrets of sales success on Great Solar Business. And I should also mention our Energy Insider Insiders um, podcast um, interview. With um, uh, hang on, hang on. Where, where is my um? God, sorry, I thought I pressed the mute button, and I thought you were being really polite, but um, I hadn't actually. No, um, no, we can hear everything you're saying. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention the Energy Insiders podcast last week with Chris Bowen, uh, mainly because as it relates to the solar industry, and he was actually really keen um, in developing a um, a broader solar manufacturing industry in Australia. Sort of noticing, you know, and as well as battery storage, and that. Kind of makes sense. I mean, very hard to compete with the um, the Chinese and um, other international manufacturers, but um, it's good to hear that people are thinking in that way. Um, look, Grainstone, um, I've, I found them, Nigel. Um, I'm embarrassed to find? say, well, they're actually based in Byron Bay, of all places. Oh. <laughs> they, they, we, we know what you're doing for breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> they make beer. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. I'm, not too, I'm not too sure why you thought they were a solar company, but they're making beer. Oh. So there you go. So, oh, my, um, my <laughs> Nutrient-dense brewer's flour from beer waste or something. Oh, well, they, oh, so renewable. It's renewable. That's why they're in the list of renewable technologies uh, that I that I picked up potentially. But anyway, anything associated with beer, big tick. Big tick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, um, and um, I, so while we're mentioning other people's podcasts, um, the Driven podcast um, is also um, interesting this week. We're talking to Peter Natras from the South Australian Government, Future Industries Division, 
and um, they're kind of looking after the battery storage and hydrogen electric vehicle um, stuff. And um, interesting development there, sort of uh, rolling out the network of EV chargers and camping grounds, caravan parks, hotels, and other sort of tourist destinations. And um, that's a pretty good idea because you don't necessarily want everyone just sort of, you know, throwing their leaves through the bathroom window and plugging into the PowerPoints. Um, probably much better to actually have something sort of proper in installed and could actually be really good for those businesses. So um, that's worth listening to as well. Oh, fantastic! I, you know, having uh, having a bike with DC fast charging capability uh, was quite exciting to me. But the downside for me has been there's not many DC fast chargers that I can actually access. In fact, virtually none. Between I wanted to go up and see some friends in Newcastle to give it a good run. Uh, can't do it. There isn't a fast charger in close enough proximity for me to um, to make it work. So I think there's a gaping gap between here and uh, Newcastle uh, along the freeway there, and, and there's some obvious places where there are big places to stop and uh, no charging facilities, sadly. So, um, yeah, we, we need those charging facilities. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're just going to have to stay the night. But um, anyway, yeah. um, we'll get back to your um, um, Harley experiences later on. But you've got some news and some sad news, actually, about Power Arc Solar. Yeah, very sad to hear on the um, on the grapevine, and I confirmed it looking at ASIC today, that Power Arc Solar, who um, on their website claimed to be Australia's largest privately owned solar wholesale distributor, have had the administrators appointed, which is which is actually very sad news. Uh, I don't know the Power Arc guys uh, well. I think I've met a few of them over the years, but um, yeah, to see any business go under is uh, very, uh, very sad. Uh, they're almost 10 years old, so they've been at it for a while. I know they were respected by their peers. Uh, uh, their industry peers, and um, so it's it's quite telling, actually, of of the pressure in the supply chain. I suspect that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So we'll dig into that and try and find out more about what's going on. Um, I noticed that they had you know locations and different business names in different parts of Australia. So it remains to be seen. There's also rumours about another wholesaler having gone under recently as well. So tough times out there in some parts of the um, supply chain. So explain to me why a solar, a wholesaler, sorry, is having problems. Is that because there's so much competition in the industry and they're just not getting the margins in between the import prices and what they can sell it for in Australia? Um, look, there's a myriad of things, but I think certainly competition is one of them. And, you know, it's a very, very, um, you know, it's interesting that the bigger our industry has got, of course, the, the more margin pressure there is. And so, you know, trying to survive on um, single digit uh, margins is, is it creates potentially a bit of a house of cards and it doesn't take much to go wrong, um, be it, you know, just having your stock tied up because you've got too much of it and can't move it and you've got it at the wrong price or volatility or in pricing or, you know, um, being stung by, um, you know, the ever-changing freight charges that we talked about or um, even STCs in the past have caused great volatility. Um, and I see that Power Arc were an STC trader as well. So, yeah, I don't know what the reason behind it is, but, you know, um, when you are a, a very large wholesale business, there's, there's a lot at stake. And if the margins are slim, then um, things can happen. 
I don't want to be too cynical about this, but um, geez, maybe they've got a bit to learn from the fossil fuel industry who've managed to sort of <laughs> managed to sort of have a bit of an oligopoly going on and sort of market control and sort of agreed payments and things like that. You just got to look at the bidding in the wholesale electricity market to sort of see what what goes on there and. Um, the regulator keeps on sort of sticking its telescope to its blind eye and saying, I see nothing there and, um, and, and, and moving on. Um, well, well, it's interesting you should say that because in, in that, uh, I gave a plug for Great Solar Business a minute ago, but, but um, when I was chatting with Dean about, you know, he's worked in all sorts of industries in sales and, and, and very ferocious, seen ferocious competition and all sorts of things. And I was trying to extract all these secrets and I, and I asked him a question off the cuff and I, I said, Dean, out of all the industries that you've worked in locally and around the world, have you ever seen such a ferocious and, and, you know, competitive industry like the Australian solar industry? And he said, never, nothing comes close out of every industry that I've worked in. And he's worked in finance. He's worked in food. He's, you know, he's worked with big corporations, small business. He's worked in all sorts of business. So our business, our industry is um, particularly ferocious. And, um, yeah, we've seen this over the years with uh, the comings and goings of businesses. And, of course, when you add in government subsidies, it does, um, does make it a bit of a honeypot. Well, that's exactly right. Um, and, look, um, that's one of the things of not having sort of major dominant players in the industry. You do get more competition. And that's one of the beauties of actually having renewables into, in the grid is actually reducing competition. Um, Sophie's actually got a great story this week, just finding something out of the Australian energy markets, energy regulators sort of state of the market report, which is usually sort of completely out of date and tells us stuff that we already know. But she's found a lovely little nugget in there about how just gradually um, the increase in wind and solar is sort of, you know, releasing that grip on the wholesale markets that, you know, one or two or three players had in each state grid over the last couple of decades. So um, mm. that's quite interesting. Unfortunately, that sort of level of intense competition can often be painful for many of the people out there and particularly some of the smaller family businesses who can just have a run of bad luck and it all goes pear-shaped and uh, we've seen that often enough. So We have. Yeah, we have. We have yeah. Yeah. Now, you've discovered some interesting topics on a solar Q&A. Can you run us through all yeah, I just I, th I thought it was interesting to try and gauge, uh, get a bit of a, a, a feel on you know what's on consumers' mind uh, at this point in time. So I jumped on the Facebook page Solar Q and A Australia, which is a great forum for um, owners mostly uh, to jump in and just ask questions about what's going on. And um, interestingly, when I scanned through them, there was a common theme. So I won't read all the details out, but you know the first one was you know an owner who's just got a system not long ago saying what what production should I expect in winter? So here's a consumer who doesn't know enough about what he should or should not expect with his solar system in winter and is obviously searching for answers there. Um, he's on the mid-north coast. Uh, or oh, this is another one, actually. So this is another one, uh, similar thing, but uh, looking for an owner of a 6.6 kilowatt system installed in the mid-north coast to compare production with. So this is someone else, again, saying, well, I'm not, I not want to compare the production of my system to someone else's that's about the same size so that I understand whether my system's doing what it should or, or shouldn't be doing. Um, uh, this this, this, this one relates to quotes. This one is, um, I have three solar quotes with conflicting information for a 6.6 kilowatt system. The first quote does not mention shade at all and gives me an output of 9,600 kilowatt hours. The second quote estimates shading at 36% with a much lower output of 7,200 kilowatt hours. Um, and I can see shading in the image. And the third quote said, 
your house isn't suitable for solar because it's completely shaded. Uh, so this poor consumer was completely flabbergasted because he had the absolute spectrum of responses from, nah, no worries, mate, we'll whack it in, to someone else saying, we think we know how much impact it's going to be, to someone else saying, I don't even think it's good enough. I, I think it's just too shaded. So shows the challenges that consumers faced. Um um, another one here from a consumer who um, has a solar system, actually a, a long story, but it was damaged uh, due to hail in, in a hailstorm and um, got the insurance claim through, got some work done. Variety of people came through. They replaced some stuff, didn't replace all of it. But now the system's only producing about 50 to 75% of its usual capacity, allegedly. Again, he you know doesn't have any monitoring, so he's, you know, you know, it's hard for him to understand perhaps it's consumption, perhaps changes in his usage, perhaps the system isn't working properly, but he's got nothing to help him, which is interesting. Um, also, uh, another one was, uh, are, uh, is a particular brand of inverter any good? That's a very common one you see, people just searching around trying to unravel the quotes that they got. Uh, and then the last one was... Um, yeah, sort of related issue. I've upsized my system, so he's got a smaller system than he had it originally. Added a larger system under perfect conditions. What could I expect to produce on a summer day? I don't know why he's asking that because it's the middle of winter. But um, it is very telling that one, two, three, four, five of the six uh, solar Q and A questions on that Facebook page all related to people trying to understand what their system's doing. So anyway, that's a, a little snapshot of what consumers were saying. It's interesting, isn't it, to see what um, what sort of does go on. I'm just fascinated by that sort of range of the quotes. So, so what in that circumstance, what do they choose? Uh, the one with the shading you're talking about? Yes. Well, that's that's going to be the source of much debate on Facebook, I, I, I suspect. Um, there were plenty of people weighing in, uh, plenty of installers weighing in, trying to give their best advice, which is what the page is all about. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge there is probably getting someone to do a really accurate on-site shade assessment. Um, uh, that can be done, and you can use some more sophisticated tools to actually really work out, is it worthwhile? Some sites, it's just barely worth it, and you wouldn't bother. In other cases, you know, my place, I got 20, 25% shading at my place. Um, I'm happy with that. I can live with that. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, I still get to reduce my energy um, consumption, but I understand. And I understood when I, um, if I had put it in, uh, if I'd been a consumer, I would have been able to understand that up front. So I think it's important that people at least go in there with their eyes wide open. The challenge that he's got here is he's got a range of people giving him vastly different answers so he needs to find someone he can trust well he should probably have a look at the roof in the first place and see if there is any shade and um if there if there is he could sort of drop kick the first lot um who given them a quote without any shade and giving them a bum steer um so he should just probably talk to the second and the third people and just work out whether as you say whether, whether it is feasible I still remember my favourite visits or my visits to the um, our regular hotel destination in Canberra when I go down to see my mum, and I've, I've probably mentioned this before. The hundred kilowatt rooftop solar system on the um, on the roof, which I think helped them do some sort of six star green building award in Canberra, and I swear that um, a lot of those panels have never seen a sun on <laughs> their panels <laughs> built under eaves and things and like that. They're completely in the shade twenty four hours a day. So yeah, um, it happens. Yeah, anyway. Happens. 
Never mind. Yes. Never mind. Yeah. What else we got there, Nigel? Or are we moving straight into electric motorcycles? Oh, let's let's jump in very quickly to electric motorcycles because um, and there's lots of news and videos and, and well, there's a great uh, little video that went online about the Evoke uh, electric motorcycles the other day. Um, um, but Energica, who I keep talking about, um, have just made a new announcement in the past few days, which is actually very exciting for a number of reasons. Tickled my fancy, Charles. Um, number one, because um, yeah, they they are now staking their te- staking their claim. They're building the highest performing electric motorcycle in the world. I think at the moment it's pretty hard to dispute that. Um, their new motor is really really interesting, though. They developed it in conjunction with another Italian company called Mavel, who I've never heard of, but uh, their new motor produces quite staggering uh, levels of power 126 kilowatts or 169 horsepower which is stonking it's absolutely stonking but even better 10 kilos lighter than the previous motor which is a substantial uh, uh, weight reduction um, uh, helps that helps it deliver 10 percent more range it's got better thermal efficiency the thermal cooling system has been simplified and now connects between the motor and the motor controller uh, with the inverter, which is all new as well. And the inverter is really, really interesting. And I, I'm going to dive into this more after the um, after the, this episode because it's got adaptive um, inverter control, which is a new technique that I've been reading about a bit lately, already used, interestingly, in the solar space. But the EV guys and the motor guys are really um, advancing this technique now because because what they can actually do is um, shift the magnetic fields by drive. And this is a really dumb guy's interpretation of it, but they can use much faster microprocessors to actually change the way the motors are behaving under different conditions. So they're maximizing efficiency and it's almost like electronic gearing for a motor, um, which is quite astounding. Um, it, it means the motors work better, they're under less stress, they deliver more power, more torque, everything else. So absolutely wonderful. The Energicas, you know, not only are they 169 horsepower uh, uh, electric motorcycle now, they've got a range of up to 420 kilometres of range, which is just mind-boggling, and they'll do 0 to 100 in second, uh, 2.6 seconds. So the two or three years that they've spent um, in the Moto E series, which runs alongside Moto GP, uh, seems to be paying off for them. They're going great guns, and um, uh, I wish I had forty-four thousand dollars for an Energica and could get one in Australia. Well, Nigel, it sounds pretty exciting. I didn't actually understand a word of what you just said, but um, it was uh, <laughs> it's, it's sick. Your, it's enthousi- sick. your enthusiasm shone through. Let me tell you. Um, so tell us about your second, or isn't there your third week on your electric Harley? Uh, yeah, I'm in sort of week uh, week two, and I've just been actually just living with it. You know, I've done some commuting. I took my 13-year-old son for a ride on it the other day. I've done some winding roads. I've done some highway stuff. Um, so I'm actually just trying to live with it, you know, and, and have, as I say, tried to plan a couple of longer trips. That's been very challenging for me because it's got a range of about 215, according to the gauge, which is you know, a bit more than my zero, but not heaps more and, and really quite restrictive um, unless I can latch onto a DC fast charger and there are just so few of them around. So I'm finding that side of it a bit frustrating because I really want to get out and give it a good blast and, you know, take off over a weekend. Um, but of course, COVID and the lack of DC chargers uh, really hasn't helped that. So at the moment, it's city stuff, but ar- around town, apart from everybody stopping me and wanting to have a good gas bag <laughs> uh, and, and, and I pull 
pulled up. I literally pulled up next to a guy on a Harley the other day uh, who was just getting on his Harley, an old, uh, an old uh, soft tail, uh, and he pulled up. I pulled up, uh, parked right next to him quite deliberately, and he went, oh, no noise. And he sort of did this big double take and went, and he looked at his bike and he looked at my bike and he looked at the logos on the tank and, you know, sort of, <laughs> you know, worlds collided. Um, but he... And, and do you think you'll be okay with that? Do you reckon he'll go electric? Look, he, as I said to son, he was impressed. He was a younger guy and had had all sorts of bikes and was quite interested in the tech. And we had a big, lovely chat. Um, and, he, and he almost apologised uh, when he took off... Uh, <laughs> Uh, making so much racket on his on his bike um but he was very very intrigued but i tell you as i said to my neighbor the other day um i reckon uh one in ten uh harley owners um will look at the live wire and and want to stop and talk or grab me or you know um uh, you know really dig for information the other nine out of ten harley owners kind of hide in the background and follow me and then blast past making as much noise as they can <laughs> and uh, sort of deny my existence. Uh, so, yeah, it is a bit polarising, uh, particularly for, you know, your traditional Harley people. And, you know, I get that. That's okay. Um, but, um, yeah, good fun. Still having good fun. And I've still got it for another week and a bit. So Good on you, mate. Good on you. And uh, look, just taking into the four-wheel um, the four-wheel um, electric vehicles. Um, God, I had some news there, but it's just slipped my mind. Um, Tesla, actually, the Tesla Model 3 is now the hottest selling car of any sort in the UK in the month of June. One in 10 cars in the UK was electric. And uh, the Tesla Model 3 sold more than the Volkswagen petrol cars and things like that, which are normally the number wow. one in those countries, which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had a bit of fun. We've had an enormous week this week on the um, on the on the Driven website um, with some of the stories that um, we've had, um, particularly um, this bloke um, in Byron Bay, um, Nigel, who does the limousine sort of service. He's done 400,000 Ks, hasn't even had to replace his brake pads and um, just basically just cost him nothing in three years, hardly any maintenance. Um, I think he's been through seven sets of tyres though, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Which will do that. And, um, and there was another great story about all the guys in Victoria who had to start taking photos of their odometer, um, their odometer reading in July the 1st oh, because they paid the EV road tax. And it's then, the um, most ridiculous thing. Oh. Well, and, and get this if they actually have to, if they want to go on a private road, and I've yet to work out whether that includes a toll road or not, but say you live in a farm or something like that and you want to, you know, you don't, you don't have to pay there, but to avoid that tax for the one or two or three kilometres that you've got to go on those private roads, you've got to take a photo of the odometer before when you start and another photo when you finish and a photo oh, of your surroundings. Please. please. So some guys actually done in his Model 3 because they've got a big screen and they've got like a paint thing and he's just, he's also said, this tax is bullshit. It's quite funny. <laughs> and so we actually just sort of published that and it's just, um, yeah, 160,000 page views later, people were very impressed. And now I note that the Liberals have gone off and started another anti-EV campaign, this um, right-wing campaign. Um, like Zed Soldier from the ACT has um, has um, criticised the local governments. You know, um, you know, they're offering free registration for EVs. I mean, big deal. So he's he's um, painted a picture of you know, or he's published a photo of some bloke actually sitting on a left in a left hand drive car, which I'm not even too sure is electric. He's on the phone, looks like a Liberal voter, and he goes, "Oh, these people are going to benefit, and you're not." And, it's just so hypocritical um, in so many different ways, it beggars belief. But it just means that 
we're almost certainly going to run into another, yet another election campaign coming up where the Liberals are just going to be complete troglodytes when it comes to this technology and, unfortunately, other technologies as well. Yes. There you go. Well, the least it's predictable. It's predictable, but it's frustrating, Nigel. It's frustrating. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I want, it's terrible. It to, I want it to go away. Um, Nigel, I think, um, I think we've come to a natural conclusion. We have. Uh, I think you're right. Um, but before we go, can I can I actually do something really gratuitous and give a massive shout out to my wife who never listens? Uh, <laughs> but but uh, my wife, Giles, I've often talked about the bar that she runs down the hill uh, from me uh, where I am known to enjoy a beer or two. And it just took out the best bar on the northern beaches. So um, congratulations, oh. sweetheart. Um, job well done. She came up with that idea. It just goes to show you an idea driven by passion and enthusiasm and creative talent with no money. And she's beaten every other bar, including, you know, literally hundreds of other bars, including some who are incredibly well funded by very, very famous people. And she beat them all with a little bar at Narrabeen RSL. Well done, honey. Congratulations. Tell me, Nigel, does she have zero alcohol beers? Yes, she does. Oh, okay. Which ones? Yes, she does. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I haven't tried them, I must admit. But we do have um, we do have quite a few motorcyclists, actually, who come through because there's lots of good motorcycle roads. So they introduced it for some of the motorcyclists who come there through who, who want to be able to come in and have a drink and then go for a ride. I've 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 quite taken to it now. I've quite taken to it. So there's actually some ones which are actually sort of you know half decent and um, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, congratulations yeah. on that, on that gong. Yeah, clear somewhere. Um, well. Thanks very much, Nigel, for your company again on this podcast. Thanks all to, to all you listeners out there um, and your messages of support. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Clenergy, Sunwiz, and Solar Analytics. And um, we'll be back in a fortnight, but don't miss out on great solar business next week and another issue of the Drupal Podcast and, of course, Energy Insiders. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sumwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping solar retailers deliver more value, win happier customers and generate more sales through referrals and upsell. Get more from solar, visit solaranalytics.com.au.